This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I'm delighted you decided to spend some more time with us here as we're sharing our creative and inspiring learning from around the world, both within the school system, through teachers and head teachers who are making such a big difference on a daily basis to children in their classes, but also interviewing inspirational people from around the world who are sharing their education background and the resources and their skills that they've learned that they were able to support children moving forward to live life on their terms and following their passions. If you'd like to find out more about what we're doing, please do go to our Patreon page where you can support the show and join our campfire of elders who are getting together to plan new material that we can actually gift to the children in our lives to really support them moving forward. Just go and visit patreon.com forward slash education on fire. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash education on fire. Look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. Today I'm joined by Todd Nesloni and Todd is an educator from Texas over in America and he's got lots of experience both in terms of being in the classroom and leadership all the way through to TEDx talks and blogs, speaking books, podcasts, you name it. He's got a wealth of experience and really excited to to hear how all that fits into our idea of real sort of creative and inspiring learning. So Todd, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation today. Fantastic. Why don't you start with a bit of um, a bit of that background and give us an idea of, of, of how your sort of professional life works and, and how it sort of expanded to all those things that I first spoke about? Yeah, let me see if I can give you the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> um, so I was a teacher in the classroom for seven years. I taught fourth and fifth grade uh, math and science, and then I had a unique opportunity due to my activity on social media um, and getting a lot of recognition for stuff that I was doing in the classroom um, by President Barack Obama and the White House and a couple other organizations, Um, a school district reached out to me knowing I had my principal certification and asked me if I wanted to be a principal. So I jumped over and spent the next five years as an elementary principal um, in a small rural town in Texas, but at a fairly large school of about 800 students. Um, And then as As of July of 2019, I just stepped into my newest role as the Director of Culture and Strategic Leadership at my state Texas um, elementary principal organization. And so I've written a couple books. Um, Like you said, I've done a couple TEDx's um, and have had a lot of great experiences. I also travel across the United States and and some international speaking um, to help people inspire educators and find ways to do what's best for kids um, and just continue to make changes in education. Wow, I mean, that is... uh quite a background and quite a quite a highlight reel there so let's well I guess we should really start with the White House really and um, <laughs> and, and and tell us how sort of the whole social media thing started and I guess exploded because I know you've got um, a very large following how did that build was it purely on the content that you were sharing or was it a little bit more than that 
Well, you know, uh, one of my supervisors at the time when I was teaching in the classroom encouraged me to get on Twitter and I was very against it. I had a Facebook account even back when Facebook only allowed college students in. Um, but I knew that Twitter wasn't somewhere I wanted to be. And he stayed on me and used his whole I'm your supervisor card. <laughs> and so I didn't really have a choice. So I got on social media and he said, you know, I really want you to use it as a tool to share the great things you're doing in our neighborhood so that other people can see and then you can learn from them. And when I got on social media, I did what most people do when they first get started. And that's, I just, you know, sat there lurking. I took ideas from others, but I was too nervous or uncomfortable to put my own ideas out there. You know, we, we have that comparison thing pop up where we start to wonder, is my stuff even worth sharing? Um, and when I finally got over that hump and realized that, you know, every voice matters within our field, I started putting some things out there and, and no, nothing that was any better than the majority of educators out there. But what I often tell people is the only reason I got recognition for stuff was because I was putting it out there. If you're not putting your stuff out there, people aren't going to see the great things you're doing. And so through some of that work and through a large grant that I had received for my students. Um, that's when the White House kind of noticed what I was doing and, and they selected me as one of their 10 um, White House champions of change for connected educators of change. So I got to go to an event there. President Barack Obama was a surprise guest. So we got to meet and take a picture with him. Um, and then from that being on social media, it led me to do things like I got to interview our secretary of education at the time, Arnie Duncan. I got to work with Miss America and Miss some Miss America contestants. I got to work with National Geographic, like all these great things that I got to bring to my school and to my classroom that I would have never had the opportunity otherwise if I wasn't on social media. And so as far as how my following exploded, I have literally no idea. People ask me that all the time. Like, what do I need to do to get all these people to watch what I'm doing like you did? And I said, you know, the only thing I ever really focused on was continually being authentic. I always wanted to make sure that the things that I was sharing was not just the good celebratory things, but the bad things as well. I, and not bad necessarily, but the failures. I wanted them to see that I was willing to show all sides of my career. And I, I really do think that one of the most important things like you've I've seen on your website is that kind of sharing your story, that 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 ability to kind of that your voice does matter, whatever that is. And like, I really love the idea of that it can be celebratory and what you're doing positively and also those failures or all the hard things that you're actually going mm -hmm. through. Because it's only then that people start to understand that we're we're kind of all in the same boat. And um, and one of the things I've certainly championed over the the length of this podcast is the sense that it's quite easy sometimes to feel trapped um, within your school or the, the confines of your sort of the the four walls of your classroom or the school grounds and that kind of thing because you're sort of limited to whatever the system happens to be within that. And that may be good, it may be bad, it may be indifferent. But as soon as you open yourself up to the education world and social media and, and, and video and all that kind of thing is definitely where that is at the minute. You suddenly realize that you can be connected to so many people and you can draw in so much great experience, which then can help you in your classroom. Um, but it just really can help everyone around you just by how you take that on. Yeah, you know, I think you're exactly right. It's a two-sided thing. With side one, you know, sometimes our job as educators can be a really lonely job, especially if you view yourself as like an innovator or a boundary pusher. Sometimes you can be that lone wolf on the campus. And so being able to find your network of people 
all over the world. And that's what I love about it. It's not just in your area or in your state. Like you can connect with people all over the world and that doesn't just positively impact you and your own learning. It impacts your kids because of the new ideas and resources you're able to bring to them. But like you said, on the other side, more than it just being about you being able to connect with and learn and grow from other people, when you're out there sharing the great things you're doing, everybody else is getting better too because we're all able to take even more ideas to be better for kids. And you know that should always be our ultimate end goal, not to be better just for the kids that we're working with, but to be better for all kids. And tell us the experience you had from, from going from teacher to that principal idea. Um, was it something you sort of relished? Was it something which you found an easy transition? Because it's often something that people sort of step by step get to. Yeah, you know, I, I like taking risks. I like trying new things, even though I know it's going to be real difficult. Um, and so I got my master's degree and my principal certification right after I started teaching, because I knew if I didn't go back to college, then I would never go back to college. And in reality, I just wanted to be the first person in my family with a master's. I didn't actually <laughs> want to use my principal certification. Um, but when I started getting a lot of notoriety on social media, a local school district reached out actually through a Twitter direct message and said, we love your work. We love what you've been doing. Would you ever consider coming and being a principal in our district? And I said, you know, I really have no interest in that. Like, I'm really happy and successful in what I'm doing now. And then they said, well, you know, we've got a unique opportunity where you'd actually get to take over a campus and hire the entire staff. And I said, oh, we can talk. Like, I'll listen to the conversation then because, you know, it's kind of our dream job as educators to be able to build our own school. And so when I went over and met with them, I loved the ideas they brought forth about what they wanted to do for kids. And so I signed on, hired my whole staff over the next six to eight months. It was wild, fast and furious. And, you know, even though that sounds like a dream job, it's like a rose. It's beautiful in some parts, but it definitely has its thorny parts. Because when you're starting a school over from scratch and with all new people, what you realize is, Nobody knows anything like you don't know the school phone number. You don't know how to stop the fire alarm from going off like you all have to learn everything at the same time. Um, but it was it was a great growth experience for me. I think it was one of one of the hardest years of my career. Just the amount of learning um, I attribute it to like drinking out of a fire hose. I mean, it's just all coming so fast that you just take in what you can and and each year you just try to get better. And so, yes, there were a lot of mistakes I made my first year um, and a lot of things. If I could go back, I would definitely do differently. But I think it really helped grow me a lot and make me the person I am today. I can imagine it's a really interesting experience from being able to sort of embed that ethos and those ideas that you obviously is so important to you, but with the practicalities of actually running and managing all those people. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, and one of the biggest learning things for me, I, I often tell people there were two things that I learned right away. One is I immediately went back to my former principal and apologized for not telling her thank you more because you don't realize what that principal does at your school until you're in that role. And that was something that I thought, you know, I know what they do. Like I've got this. And then all of a sudden when I'm in the role, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea they were doing all of this. Um, and so that was, that was something that was really big to me. And the other thing I learned that I wasn't necessarily, I guess, prepared for or expecting or the reality hadn't hit yet was that 
when I'm a classroom teacher doing my own thing, I feel like all the other teachers on campus are, are doing similar stuff to what I'm doing. When you become a principal and you're over the entire campus, you realize that not every teacher was doing what you were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are people who never take their attendance or are late every single day. And as a principal, I wasn't ready for that because I just thought everybody just did what I did. And I learned very quickly that I have to take a different role with each person um, and how I'm going to push them and how I'm going to encourage them and how I'm going to challenge them, all those different kinds of things. And and talking about sort of people that you're working with and people that you grow up with and that kind of thing, are there any teachers that you remember back from your your days that, that really sort of impact in your, impacted your life and also your overall sort of value that you feel that you got from your school experience as a student and I guess how that then um, decided how you wanted to run a school? You know, I, I, I think often about this question because I think my answer is a little different than most educators. Um, I did not mind school at all. I was never in trouble that much because I was afraid of my mama. And when I got home, if she found out I was in trouble, the only thing I ever got in trouble for was talking too much. Um, and so I, I, I got decent grades, but there was never a teacher my entire educational experience that left a mark on me or that made me feel like I mattered in that room or that I was important or that I wasn't just another name on the page. And that was a really big driving force behind why I wanted to be an educator. Um, I have a really big passion for making sure not only kids, but the adults that I work with understand that they are valuable and that they know they matter if nobody else than to me. And I wanted to make sure that when I became an educator, that I spent time that making sure every kid knew that I was glad they were there that day, that they meant something to me, that they have value, that they're worthy. And then as I became an administrator, I continued to pour that into my kids. But then I had the unique opportunity of pouring that into the adults that were there as well and making sure they knew their worth. Because, you know, education is one of those fields where we can easily get beaten down and feel like we aren't important to people anymore, either because the parents, the kids, our administrators, whatever. And so as a school leader, being able to really build up that culture on campus and and pour into people, that was really a driving point of why I wanted to do it, because I didn't get that as a kid um, from my school experience. And so I wanted to create something different for the kids that I was going to work with. Yeah, I think it's so important, isn't it? That kind of um, one-on-one connection, that being seen, being heard, all of that kind of thing. And I think it's such an impactful thing. I can really understand why it's such a driving force and how it then manifests itself in in success beyond that. Mm -hmm. Take us through um, your books and, and some of the content that you've actually produced that people can come across in terms of what sort of things did you um, produce and, and why did you go down that particular route? Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's a good friend of mine. His name is Dave Burgess, and he wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Teach Like a Pirate. And he self-published it, did all of it his own, and then he started his own publishing company. And for years, he had asked me to write a book for him. And I just didn't feel like I had the correct words or the know-how or or even felt worthy of putting my thoughts on a page when I think of all these successful authors that I've heard about and know. And I met a gentleman at a conference and we hit it off and we wrote a little bit together and I thought, hey, I could write a book with this guy. And so in one of our conversations, the, the phrase kids deserve it came up. 
And we thought, you know what? All these creative things we do, we do them because we believe kids deserve this. And it's hard to, to, to argue with that and hard for somebody to come back and say, kids don't deserve this. And so we thought, we have something unique here. So we ran away with the hashtag and started using it. And then we pitched the idea to Dave Burgess and he loved it. And so that's where my first book, Kids Deserve It, um, came from. And it's a book about challenging the status quo and thinking outside the box and doing what's best for kids and not always just what's easiest for adults. And it's a book full of digestible and immediately applicable ideas for anybody and any role in education to use. And it's a book full of encouragement. And so, you know, sometimes with so many education books, it's from these experts with all these research and everything. And when we wrote Kids Deserve It, it's a book with things we actually did at our schools. And my co-author, he was at a very wealthy school in California, while I was at a very um, socially economic school at, uh, in Texas. And so we had very two very different schools. Um, so we had a lot of great ideas to pull from. And the book was wildly successful, way beyond anything we ever dreamed it would be, that when I thought about writing a follow-up, I really wanted to write something that was unique and something that wasn't on the market. And so, you know, at every school I've worked at, we've had that phrase of, we should write a book about the things that we do here, but nobody ever does it. And so as a principal, I thought, I could write a book with my staff because they do brilliant things every day and nobody knows who they are because there are some of them aren't socially active on, on social media and some of them aren't sharing out the great things they're doing, but there's still brilliant stuff going on. So I pitched the idea to my publisher. He loved it. And my second book, which I am the most proud of out of anything I've done is called stories from web because I worked at Webb Elementary, and so it's a book that I wrote. Every chapter is written by me, but throughout the book are little inserts, little stories from different people who worked on the campus, from the ladies who work in the cafeteria to the front desk receptionist to the nurse to the librarian to the instructional aides. Everybody, I feel like, has a story to tell, and I wanted to use my platform to amplify their voices louder than I was amplifying my own. And I think that's why that book is so special to me is, like I said, it's unlike anything else out there where it's just a school full of people that that book that I thought was going to be an education book turn into a 50% education book, but a 50% life book. Um, and I say that because, you know, one of my favorite chapters in that book is called It's Okay to Grieve. And in that chapter, I talk about the power of grief and how many of us have dealt with losing someone or something that has really changed our trajectory. And then there's three or four stories in there from different people that I work with who share suffering a miscarriage or losing a grandparent or losing a loved one unexpectedly in a car crash and how those shaped their beliefs but also their interactions with kids and adults. And so that book was my second book. And then I had one, my third one was called Sparks in the Dark, which is all about building a love of reading and writing in kids and adults. Um, and then I've got a new book coming out this year called When Kids Lead, which is all about growing leadership in our youngest to our secondary students, um, how we can really make great leaders out of them, of people who will go on to change the world. Um, and through that, I've gotten to have unique experiences like doing two TEDx talks, which is one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life, <laughs> as well as, you know, my speaking career over the last five years has taken off where about half the year I spend traveling, speaking all across the United States and other parts of the world, um, just sharing 
creative things that you can do in the classroom through a lens of positivity and encouragement. And whether you are a school administrator or a school teacher, um, I, I speak over how you can change the environment for every kid um, through things that I've actually done, not through things that are just ideas or I got from somebody else. Like I share my story through things that I've actually done and experienced. I love so much of that. And it's so diverse yet the, those common threads of us all being human, you know, having experiences which shape our lives. And I think understanding who we are authentically and as a person and how we're all connected in all those ways gives us the strength and, and, and those sort of building blocks, the foundations really, to then expand into whatever our passions are and however we want to do it. And as you sort of said just before there, if it's if you have an environment within a school where everything is absolutely rosy and brilliant then it's incredibly lucky for you and it's a real gift but I think to be able to hear these things in a practical manner because you're able to share your story and your experiences and just sort of tag one or two of those things and then to have the power as we do like these days sort of through video and TEDx being one of those most amazing things where you can really affect so many people both in the room but then of course to the wider world as well is is it's a real gift and I can understand it being terrifying but um just take us through a little bit about what that experience was like uh, sort of beyond being terrified so you know when i first got invited to my first tedx i was so excited you know because that's that's a dream of, of speakers is to have a stage like that with such a recognized and respected brand like the ted brand and I immediately knew what I wanted to talk about for my, my first TEDx. I knew I wanted to do it under the guise of Kids Deserve It, but talk about how the different three different things that they, they deserve and also really share a really personal story of my grandmother in my TEDx. And I was terrified because, A, I knew it was going to be live broadcast. And I was like, so if I mess up, I'm screwed. Like the whole world will always see that mess up. <laughs> and then with TED, TED, TEDx's, they're timed. And so I had to stay within a time frame. And, you know, usually when you speak at events and do sessions, you've got a little wiggle room. You can go a couple minutes early or a couple minutes over if you if something happens. But with the TEDx, they were like, no, you need to be right on. You need to do this and that. It's going to be live broadcast. Everybody's going to see it. And you're going to tell this really personal story. And I thought, oh, my goodness, like. I talk constantly about being vulnerable and sharing those stories, but no matter how much I talk about it, it's still scary for me every single time. You know, I tell people often what they don't realize about me when I present because I'm such a energetic and, and, and fiery force when I'm on the stage that people don't realize that I'm actually an extreme introvert and I get sick before every presentation. I get terrified when I have to be in large crowds, but you wouldn't know it in the moment because we're used car salesmen. Like we got to fake it till we make it. Um, and people don't want that shy. I don't want to talk to you person. They want energy and, and excitement. And so when I did the TEDx, my mom was in the crowd as well as my wife. And so that had a little bit of added pressure because my mom had never seen me present before that day. Um, but it turned out beautifully and I was so proud of that message that when another organization reached out for me to do my second TEDx, I thought, oh my gosh, like that was hard enough doing one. Like I don't even know where to begin. And I had just finished writing my book, Stories from Web. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take this idea of stories and I'm going to do a TEDx called Tell Your Story and really focus on the power of stories. Because it's just like what you mentioned a minute ago. And 
you know, that was something that I think was unexpected for me when I wrote the book Stories from Web. I was looking at writing it just to amplify the voices of the brilliant people I work with who nobody knows who they are. But what it turned into was when people across the world were reading it and reaching back out to us, how personal some of the stories became to them. And when you get comments like, thank you so much for sharing this piece of yourself. I thought I was the only one that felt that way. And for me just to find out that there's somebody else who's been through this that feels that way too, I feel less alone. And it's that whole idea that stories bind us, stories bring us together, and stories let people come alongside you and say, me too. And when I had the opportunity to tell that side of things, I thought, you know, that's where my podcast was born. You know, I do a podcast called Tell Your Story. And I thought, I just want to create a space where I can allow people to share pieces of themselves that doesn't always get out there so that, you know, my mission is I want people to realize you're not alone. And more than just you're not alone, your story has value and impact and you need to be sharing it because people need to hear what you've been through and where you are today. And I think the amazing thing about that is how you can only go with your intuition, can't you? You can only go with your gut about what it is that you want to explore, whether it's the opportunity to speak or whether it's a book or whatever it happens to be. But to know that you've made such a massive difference and get that gift of response back in a way that you weren't expecting, then you kind of know I was right just to just just to follow my heart, really, and to do those things. And it's a real leap of faith, but it really is an important thing for us all to remember, I think. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing that you bring up is at no point in me doing this was I looking to bring notoriety to myself. And I think that's where you see people that you respect and admire where they rise above others is I really have tried, you know, and, and it's because of advice that I was given. Somebody once told me, if you are given a platform, Todd, you better make sure you're amplifying the voices of others louder than you're amplifying your own. And that has always stuck with me. And I've always looked at everything I've done as a point of, I'm not doing this to be famous or to have people pat me on the back. Like, I just want to help and I just want to pour myself out there and, and make myself uncomfortable because that's when we learn, when we are uncomfortable and just always be growing. And, and you know, some things I put out there, they fail and they bomb big time. <laughs> but I learn through all of it because I'm not – I'm just looking to try to make this world a better place because I feel like we have enough negativity and people trying to tear each other down. The more that we can bring positivity in this world, the better. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I love it when advice really impacts on people. Um, what advice would you give your younger self now, sort of looking looking back as someone who's got that experience, both within education and, and life itself? And is just a nugget that you could tell your younger self just to give give that person a chance to really sort of have that self-assuredness um, of, of, of it will be okay or not or, or whatever those experiences might be? Wow, that's a great question. You know, when I think about what I would tell my younger self, I think there's two things that I would focus on. I think I would tell my younger self, you don't know everything, so ask as many questions as possible, um, and not just about education. Like, what I mean is, I've spent the last three years of my life really educating myself over my own biases and fragility and my own... Um, things that have been ingrained in me that I didn't even realize were part of my psyche and part of my way I look at other people. 
And it has blown my mind as I have broadened those horizons for myself and really sought to understand different cultures and religions and backgrounds and choices that are being made. And I feel like it's made me a better person. And so I would tell my younger self, you know, you don't know everything. So spend more time asking questions than acting like, you know, and then at the same time, I would tell my younger self and shut up and listen, like stop talking long enough to actively listen to people when you ask those questions, don't just hear something right away and run with it. Like stop, digest it and respond back to what they're saying. Yeah, that's some great advice there. Listening is such a key thing. What podcast, book, video, film, song or, or any resource has had the biggest impact on your life and why was that? Ooh, you, well, you threw a lot of options in there. So I'm thinking <laughs> like, which one am I going to pick? Well, you know, there's there's an, a musical, I mean, there's a musician that has been my favorite since I was about 12 years old. Um, she is a singer-songwriter um, in the United States named Nicole Nordeman. Um, and she's written some of the most powerful songs that have played a part of my youth, but also my adult life. And I have admired her immensely for her writing process, but her vulnerability and honesty. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a dream big kind of person. And when I was writing stories from web and it being stories of others and storytelling, I thought, Ooh, I'm going to just like tweet Nicole Nordeman, who's never met me, like doesn't even know who I am from Adam and see if like, she'd be interested in just reading my book and maybe writing an endorsement. And she actually responded on Twitter and told me to send her a copy of the book. And I thought, oh, she's just being nice. Like she's never going to do anything else from this. But then she read it and she wrote this long, beautiful endorsement of the book and said how much it meant to her for me to ask and how much she enjoyed reading it. And that was one of those mind-blowing moments to me of, you know, there's this singer-songwriter I've been enamored with for years about her skill and what she brings to the table. And for her to have no idea who I am, but for me just to take a risk and reach out to her and then end up having a book where she's on the back cover and where she has advertised it via her social media. It's like, oh my gosh, like that was one of the coolest experiences for me. And, and one of those stories that I use to tell people like, don't not reach out to somebody because you're afraid they're not going to respond. Like the worst thing they'll say is either no or nothing at all. But if you take that risk and put yourself out there, who knows, this person you admire might want to be a part of something you're doing. Absolutely. And you're certainly not going to get that endorsement or, or even that contact if you don't ask in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we, we've covered so many things here, Todd, and, and thanks so much for chatting today. If you go to toddnesloni.com, then that will give you everything on his webpage there, which just covers all the aspects that we've talked about in quick links through to all those things. And on social media, it's Tech Ninja Todd, and, um, and I'm sure you'll be able to tweet out and, 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 uh, and make direct contact through there as well. So we'll have all the other details on the show notes on educationonfire.com too. So whichever platform you use to listen, all those things will be there and also within the podcast player. Um, and I hope some of the things that we've covered here has really impacted you and enabled you to, to a bit of food for thought. And, and I think that big, powerful message of sharing your story and being authentic and how that affects other people is such a big one and, and certainly the biggest takeaway for, for me today, I think. So Todd, thank you so much for sharing your story. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And like you said, I'm super active on social media. So if anybody, if I can help out or amplify anybody, what the work they're doing, please reach out at any time. 
Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.